Hello and welcome to the Temple Trek podcast. Uh, it's another Sholo show this week. Sholo show? It's another Sholo show. Space time. The ever expanding frontier. These are the records of the most needlessly complicated rewatch of the Star Trek franchise ever. Its mission to locate every second, contemplate every eon, from outside time to the Big Bang, to the 20th century, all the way to the end of all existence. To do what no sane entity has ever done before. This is the Temporal Trek Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Temporal Trek podcast. It's another solo show this week. Um, uh, obviously, Dan is still a very busy man, uh, so it's just going to be me. And uh, we are in Chronodate Season 3, Episode 49, and Season 2, Episode 23 of Enterprise, which is Regeneration. They are the Borg. Well, actually, we don't know if it's the Borg because they never say that in the entire episode. So, um, yeah, it's a solo show, which means the format is uh, I watch the episode in real time. Of course, I've watched it already. I've made a few notes and I've got these here, but it'll be a stream of consciousness. It might not necessarily make any sense. I might be sort of caught up in one idea and then sort of trail off. Who knows? Um, this particular episode. Now, what I tend to do before we get stuck in is sort of try and remember what I felt about it the first time round. Um I was excited to see how they were going to do a prequel episode of Star Trek before we were supposed to know about the Borg uh, with the Borg. It was made a big thing. I remember the adverts uh, on TV that were saying the Borg are back, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I, I was intrigued to see how they were going to do it. Having already seen Acquisition, where they had the Ferengi before we knew who the Ferengi were and thought that they'd actually pulled it off quite nicely you know it was believable that in some respects they had um, only a couple of characters interacting with the Ferengi so it was understandable that not all the details made it through yes obviously you'd think someone like Malcolm being Malcolm would have installed some sort of CCTV uh, recordings so we would have seen these aliens before uh, but at no point did they mention who the Ferengi were. They don't say who they are. You just happen to know that they are marauders, and so be it. This one, the the way it eventually came out, the way that they played it, there were so many times in this episode where they are clearly documenting what this cybernetic species can do that it beggars belief when you then go back and then watch um, you know, Q Who and uh, Best of Both Worlds and so on, that that our characters in the future have literally no concept of what the Borg are. Um, you know, even Archer seems to have this vague idea of or a memory of a obscure speech that historically has been recanted by the man giving the speech. Um, who mentioned cybernetic uh, creatures. You know, it's so unlikely. Even though Archer 
knew him in his lifetime or his family were associated with Zephyr and Cochrane, it seems unlikely that only one person on the entire ship seems to recall this information. Uh, and then, you know, 200 years in the future, not one can remember a well-documented time where a species were found in the Arctic Circle of Earth, go out into space, um, they hijack a Targalian uh, freighter, Targalians, uh, being a, a species that does get referenced later in Star Trek, and that the first Warp 5 ship encounters them as well. Like, that's big historical moments. You'd think someone along the lines um, in future episodes would have remembered something like that. Um, so it's one of those times where when they go back and do a prequel, it kind of sullies the thoughts of the future episodes. And it's something that obviously once we get to those episodes in Temporal Trek, which is many years to come, uh, it might be, it might tinge what are already good episodes by doing this. But like I say, it was an interesting experiment and we'll go through the episode as always. Uh, just again, as last time, we're going to be doing it by the Netflix edit. We're not going by the Paramount Plus edit uh, just because they do the act breaks and it kind of throws you out and it's just not the best way to do it. So yes, we are going into zero minutes and zero seconds and uh, we are lining up our episodes in three, two, one. We see a little transport, the Arctic Circle, Earth. It would have been nice to maybe just put the date on it. It is the Temporal Trek podcast. But they didn't. Just trying to remember, we're working in a time frame here. You're just not thinking fourth dimensionally. Right, right, I have a real problem with that. It's the Arctic Circle, you know, you see these people in these ice outfits. It's hard not to make parallels with movies like The Thing. Uh, there's the, this horror element to it. They are walking around some wreckage. And at this point, you know, if you hadn't seen the adverts, which were so heavily saying the Borg were coming back, there might be a bit more mystery to this scene. You'd be like, ooh, you know, was there a crash in the Arctic and this is going to be some puzzle episode that we've got to work it out for ourselves? Um, you know, they they kind of screwed the screwed the mystery a bit here. It does make me wonder, though, given how much wreckage there is, that no one found them sooner than this point in history. Um, I know that humans were recovering from World War Three, so yeah, all right, give them a hundred years or so. But um, you know, they're up to a Warp Five ship. That means and implies that Starfleet has existed for quite some time. Well, it's existed within uh, Archer's lifetime, as we found out in Horizon. And that should be enough for Arctic expositions to pretty much map out all the Arctic. So it just seems un unusual that all of a sudden they have found it now. Yep, here we are. We're in the intro. It's all lies. This episode is all lies. Because obviously, you know, Zephyr Cochran tells us that there were these cybernetic creatures that this striving for the future is an absolute... You know, Codswallop. Um, you know, the only reason that Starfleet gets made, that Zephyr and Cochran pushes for it, is that we find out there were some cybernetic bad guys. We've got to get up there. We've got to kick their asses. Um, you know, 
does it undermine the sense of enterprises reaching for the stars as the song is doing like if he knows that there is a threat out in the universe did he i don't know somehow broker peace with the vulcans and work with the vulcans knowing that there was a bigger threat out there does it sully the idea of star trek by having an episode like this just food for thought there and we go back into the Arctic. So we, in the credits, we had the big reveal. We find that, oh, there's, there's the Borg face in the Arctic. We stay with this Arctic team for a full nine minutes of the episode. Now, this is something we came across in Horizon, also in Cogenitor as well. The, the idea that there's a lot of the episode that is given over to something that doesn't really matter. We need to get on with the story a bit more. A lot of this seems to be setting up tension so that's fair enough okay maybe if we spend a bit of time with these unnamed people um you get that tension however you spend so much time in the episode to this who is it for who is it explaining the borg to look she just trips over his foot you know she chips over the a borg foot there's no horror element at this point it comes a little bit later but there's a lot of build up and build up and build up it would have been nice to maybe just go past this and spend more time with the Enterprise at this point I will mention pretty awful CGI work uh, there's you know, humans walking around with very weird lumpy like ways of moving integrated into his circulatory and nervous systems. He'd probably operate it like it was his own flesh and blood. I met a Vulcan scientist who wore a prosthesis and lost his forearm. I like this little bit of detail. It's a bit more world building. The idea that the Vulcans do also have an advanced prosthesis. They have uh, medical abilities that maybe are beyond humans. Did you have a genetic analysis? That's even more interesting. There's so much data being collected on these screens. Now, if we accept that when the Borg will leave Earth, as they will do in a minute, they take all of this technology with them, perhaps hiding the information, um, all that information is still on board that ship, and they obviously sent some of the information back because the Enterprise is given their findings as well. Now they carbon date the the findings and things like this and they find out that it's been there for a hundred years. Now in Star Trek I know that quantum dating is obviously something that happens a lot later so you could sort of work out the time period of where things come from as well. It would be interesting to see if they'd had that ability in Enterprise that that, that would add another level of mystery to it. They're repairing the cell membranes. What are they? I believe you're looking at a form of nanotechnology. Okay. They are aware of nanotechnology. This is another bit that sort of tinges the idea of the future episodes with the Borg. You know, they are so in awe of nanotechnology 400 years from now. And, you know, 200 years from the Enterprise, they're aware of nanotechnology. It doesn't quite fit with the way Starfleet views the Borg technology is so advanced, given that 200 years ago they already knew about it. Couldn't the bodies be damaged? 
Is it freezing again? I guess it's possible. Then we should leave them here. Let the regeneration process continue. What if it revives more of their systems? He said regeneration. The episode's over. Or what they were doing here a hundred years ago. There's no reason to assume they're hostile. <laughs> they don't exactly look friendly. Okay, is that supposed to point out that our uh, you know, humans aren't as evolved, that actually they're just judging people by looks? Or is it quite a justified thing? Again, who is that line for? If we're Star Trek fans, we've already worked out in our heads. The only way the Borg have gone back in time is from seeing the movie Focus Contact, which would still be fresh in our memory. If this is for new fans... The adverts leading up to this episode coming out was so overt about the Borg being here, it doesn't matter what the shape of the ship would be. That doesn't give them any more information. Um, there are so many scenes here where it's just, who is this for? It's one scientist with a gun. That's all he's got protecting him against the thing that he himself said didn't look friendly um it is a nice bit of horror i guess you know they don't have a queen there is uh, the aspect that these are not exactly the borg at their best however two drones managed to do all of this damage to what we were about to see the science camp go through that's just two drones and if two drones can do that then two drones can uh, augment their transport which we see at the very first seconds of the episode um, they're very dangerous implying that they're not still full part of a full network it, I don't think it's a justified reason why outdated 200 year old enterprise era technology um, you know could stand up to these Borg And we break. We're back in the time loop at Starfleet Headquarters. Those same four people are muting, meeting like every other time we have seen Starfleet Headquarters. It's crazy. So, so Admiral Forrest, he's going in to investigate. He has a look around. He's here in the shuttle pod. You know, it's been a few days. You see, I, I would appreciate kind of the action movie, you know, three days later, you know, or something written under the bottom. Uh, just give us our placement in time. The time frame seems to move very quickly with this. Did they pick up something that maybe helped them against the Borg? It might be just a nice little bit more of world building. It's a good point, actually, from Trip. I quite like uh, 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 Reed here as well. So we've established this transport is a hybrid of two technologies, one less advanced and one more advanced, perhaps lending more weight that the Enterprise isn't completely outmatched from the get-go. However, they do so much in such a short time, it's hard to believe the Enterprise being able to stand up to that vessel. There's photos, there's documents, there's data. It's on the Enterprise's computer. 
there is a nice little bit of a moment here uh, from Scott Bakula. He kind of he plays it as though he does know. He's he's heard something like this before. It doesn't quite fit that you know he's never mentioned it before. That he's not interested in stuff like this. This arm might contain some sort of weapon. If I can determine its yield, we'll have a better idea of what we're facing. What sort of people would replace perfectly good body parts with cybernetic implants? You or all people should be open-minded about technology. I don't have a problem with that, as long as it stays outside of my skin. If your heart is damaged, would you want me to replace it with the synthetic organ, or would you rather die? I quite like that. We're getting a philosophical chat inside this episode. The Binars! Also, we know about the Binars years and hundreds of years before we will actually meet one in TNG. Heavily armed? They had one gun. There was one scientist with a rifle. We didn't see anything else. How heavily armed were they? And why were they so heavily armed in the Arctic Circle? They did mention polar bears at one point. However, given that they've got phase pistols, do they need more than one against... You know, are there, Is there an army of polar bears at this point? Lots of people get something to do here. I mean... Travis is calling out times and distances. Not, obviously, intense dialogue. But everyone does have something to do here. I mean, they've configured the shuttle so much that it looks more Borg than it does of the freighter. It doesn't seem to be a way of uh, suggesting that the Enterprise could outmatch this vessel. So, in a short period of time, presumably days, they've managed to arm the vessel, they've managed to kit it out with a better warp engine. An Enterprise does sort of bash into it. Now, here's something I don't understand. Why do they actually go after them? Get the shuttle prod ready. Uh, we just established it back in the breach that Blocks now has medics on board. Why not send a field team of medics, a couple of security officers, just in case, to go and rescue the Tarkalians, maybe restore some power, send a few engineers over as well, and then uh, lay chase to the freighter. Um, it didn't make sense for the Enterprise to stay behind at this point. They've already established that there's machines in their body. I I struggled to figure out why Flox didn't already think of a technical solution, given that he has an MRI machine in his sick bay that 
you know, is designed to fry those kinds oh, of machines. No. If those machines are what's causing the problem, and at no point does he say their bodies are reliant upon them to survive, um, why not zap them straight away? There was something familiar about all this. I couldn't put my finger on it until I found the speech Zephram Cochran made 89 years ago. When I was a kid, I read everything I could about it. It took me a while, but I finally found it in the database. He was giving a commencement address at Princeton. So I'm wondering, why did no one else in the future, who's obsessed with Zephram Cochran, ever bring up this during the Borg? Um, it's another one of those things that doesn't make you uh, believe that the reactions of people in the future um, will actually sort of uh, not think of. He was also known to be frequently intoxicated. No one took him seriously. He recanted the whole thing a few years later, but you have to admit, there are similarities. He said their ultimate goal was to enslave the human race. And he was right. They might be heading back to their homeworld. So they can try again. Who are you? My name is Blocks. I'm a physician. We're aboard a starship. We responded to your distress call. What did you do to me? Your vessel was attacked. I'm doing my very best to treat you. I'm going to sedate him. <laughs> oh no, Ensign Redbands has been thrown across the room. Now, Phlox got the tubules straight away. I do remember, first time watching this, like, are they going to kill off Phlox? Is this something they're going to do? Um, I was actually genuinely more worried for Phlox in the whole episode at this point. I realise I am just watching this episode and there's lots of silence here. Uh, and I do apologise. It's, it's interesting to watch this. I mean, it's an action-packed episode. Given some of the action beats we've had in Season 2, it's, you know, it's a, it's a welcome pace change. Again, he, he, he refers to it as being infected, even though, again, we know a technological species that they have nanites. You know, this information was passed to them. He's still referring to it as an infection. It just seems unusual. You know, Phlox is a far better doctor than that. that I'm surprised he doesn't sort of see it as a, a technological problem as opposed to a biological problem. Straight away, John Billingsley performance, you know, moving stuff around his room. He's straight into throwing himself into work into order to distract him, but also find a cure straight away. It's a nice little touch. And I do like that Archer also has that Papa Archer, although more of a brotherly, I think, relationship with Phlox. Um, uh, you know, his, his approach is not really to go from security aspects, he comes from it more of a personal angle, which is perhaps something you don't get with Picard, with anyone else. Maybe more Janeway, maybe. 
The Dark Aliens just sort of moving around, having a look at all of their systems. <laughs> I like the trip can scan literally everything apart from one box shaped thing. Um, I don't know, it just seems weird that their sensors can pick up one thing and not the other. So 4.8, they're already going uh, faster, way faster uh, than the transport and already up to warp 5 in a short period of time. They're so hopelessly outmatched. I think there is a part of me that again thinks that this is so set aside from season two, what we've had so far. I mean, we've basically had them fighting space Nazis all season when it, when it's come to really down to it, um, or some inept Klingons. The the fact that they've jumped to the Borg as an adversary this season, it seems unlikely that the Enterprise are ready for this. And given that we've just had Cogenitor, we had a, a slightly more technologically advanced species very nearby um in the breach we saw that there are loads of species all acting in this area they got kicked off that planet there are lots of ships around the enterprise within this time period this time frame um you know maybe if this episode had been part of those other episodes it would be believable that they would need a fleet they built an armada out of these other aliens to combat this cyborg threat uh, that they never find out about um There's Reed being probably the least intimidating security guard ever. He just shouts at them. And they've adapted straight away. What I don't understand is obviously these are uh, Borg components creating cyborgs in this time. But they are adapted from the future. So they would have already adapted to phase pistols. This technology already exists. So the tubules were about to... Uh, uh, get into uh, Ensign Red Bands there and uh, you know it comes down to Reed hitting him on the back of the head with the butt of his rifle uh, it's lucky that uh, you know they were able to do that uh, they've got energy shielding uh, against phasers but not necessarily against brute force Archer's worked out a plan. Now, Reed does say understood, so maybe he's already figured it out himself, but he's explained this to nobody. Again, we have got Archer's superpower of formulating a plan, telling no one, and it's executed flawlessly. And they are blown out there, as we know of the Borg from First Contact. Go back to Season 2 when we met the Borg back uh, back then. Um, they can exist uh, only when their cybernetic and um, uh, biological components are okay. We already saw the Borg can survive in the vacuum of space. So are those Tarkalians floating around in space um, not being picked up? Uh, is there Borg drones just floating around in space 
waiting to intercept another vessel sometime. I really like Hoshi in this you point. You know, Hoshi and Flocks have such a lovely dynamic and relationship. You know, she has a very caring relationship towards him. He has a very, um, uh, again, another fatherly relationship. It is that family crew that we get with the Enterprise. As an episode, it does highlight a lot of the characters' strengths. Hoshi is is good at translating. She was able to pick up that transmission, but you're also seeing her her human side, her her daily day to day side, and her interaction with Flocks and her her caring empathy. The cellular metabolism. Uh, this fits now in, if you're going Temporal Trekway, to Picard Season 2. Uh, the idea that the Queen wasn't able to uh, create perfect drones because she didn't have the right elements in her body, the metabolism to bring it about. Um, she wasn't able to fully take over um, uh, Agnes Gerati until she was able to um, you know, push her, her endorphins. So the fact that Flux has already decided that treating it like an infection means that you need to sub, you know, subvert your own inner uh, metabolism fits with uh, the Borg so far. So it's an interesting idea that actually Enterprise posited this idea and Picard Season 2 then carried it forward and by watching it in a Temporal Trek way, it all makes it believable that these two drones that are cut off from everyone else haven't been able to make more nanites that are as effective as they would be when they are properly part of the collective. I like there was a mention of holographic bullets. Again, another call out to the first contact. There's a lot of points where they just make references to things that were used in First Contact. And this is, I think, the bit that Other Dan, were he here, would probably have a problem with. It's the it's the, the fan service done for fan service sake. Lieutenant Reed, I'm Flux. Flux, you planned to disable the transport when you find it. He thinks we can knock out the power system. So you still intend to rescue the humans? That's the general idea. If they've already been transformed, that could be difficult. Tapol makes a very good point here. She compares 29 life forms to the 80 or so on the Enterprise and, of course, the wider society. It's logical to assume they've all been infected. We could endanger Enterprise if they're brought aboard. Perhaps you should reconsider. Are you saying we shouldn't go after that ship? I'm saying we destroy it. Fox to Captain Archer. She makes a good point. You can already hear in Flox's voice that he's very subdued, that he's trying to take things slowly in order to not push the infection. Archer has a sense of idealism. It, it makes a lot of sense for his character that he hasn't quite uh, developed, say, the hatred that Picard will have of the Borg or 
uh, of Cisco. How are you feeling? Better than I anticipated. The nanoprobes seem to be having trouble with my immune system. But if they are persistent, little fellows, it won't be long before they adapt. Any progress finding a treatment? Possibly. I've been attempting to treat the infection as if it were, uh, well, an infection. Then it suddenly occurred to me this isn't a biological problem. I need to think like an engineer, not a physician. I extract it takes a while for Flocks to get there, to get to this idea of, of seeing it like an engineering problem. It, given what we know of Flocks and how he can make leaps of judgment, he, I'm pretty sure Flocks would have figured this out sooner. Now... These processes are vulnerable to Omicron particles. Omicron radiation was something that Trip was inoculated against in Cogenitor. Uh, the Vissians, uh, their warp drive was uh, an Omicron particle generator, if anything. Again, leading to this idea that perhaps if they brought the episodes together, the Cogenitor Vissian species might have had something to add to this, perhaps a defence. Flocks already offered him a severe dose of a neurotoxin. He says, kill me. He's basically offering him a gun. And if that doesn't 100% fit with Flocks' approach, you know, if I become dangerous, I don't want to harm other people. Um, it's so Flocks and so unbelievably right for the character. Um, and again, it makes you think about the breach again. You know, is he typical as a Denobulan? Is he the kind of man that, um, you know, does this because he is so unlike his other species? Or most Denobulans are so good at self-sacrifice. We're now seeing the freighter again, and it's actually developed, and it looks far more different. It's bigger. It's actually... It's increased in mass. Now, they've put some technology on board the Enterprise, and that will lead into almost their gambit. It's a very smart move that they're able to sort of plant this device into the Enterprise. Now, the Enterprise now has Borg technology on board it. Yes, by the end of this episode, it will be deactivated and triple rip all of it out. But they have access to an advanced piece of technology. Something that might be maybe useful should there be, I don't know, some aggressive species that would try to attack Earth in a few months' time. And um, maybe they have to go on a year-long mission to try and defeat those weapons. Just saying. The Trojan horse is activated. There's Borg programming and circuitry all activated inside the Enterprise. Now, the Borg don't even call themselves the Borg. That's where it loses me. Like, up to this point, they haven't heard the, the name. They're only going on visual data. You know, okay, fair enough. But the Borg would renounce themselves as the Borg. Which leads me to a possible theory. Um, did the Borg think that they were going to be making their way home and that actually the mission that we're presented with is that they're actually trying to escape Earth they've taken over this freighter and they are heading to the Delta Quadrant to rejoin the Collective or do they know that given what they were going to do in the future to, to go back in the past and assimilate Earth 
they have to complete the time loop. Do the Borg know, do these dro drones know that actually they were trying to set up the loop that will eventually lead to best of both worlds? Um, the way they're acting, the way they get to where they're going but aren't advancing themselves to the point they would actually destroy the Enterprise. They have the Enterprise dead to rights at this point. They could destroy it in a matter of seconds, but they don't. Almost making me think that they're holding back, that they are actually purposely not attacking the Enterprise in such a way, knowing that perhaps they are actually serving future collective needs. So, it's a little bit complicated, uh, I grant you, and uh, it's a bit of conjecture because there's nothing directly given to it, but where this episode ends and with the ominous ending that we get i wonder whether these drones were actually trying to just complete the time loop uh, were they deliberately not giving the humans too much information there we go it's quite fun in sickbay uh flox has been put into the chamber so he's going to get zapped by the omicron particles and we see the mri machine sort of kick into life uh, random extra got three lines straight away and now we have sort of two setups we have two things going on you have uh, the cyborg ship firing on the Enterprise and you have the mission on the Enterprise where they're just trying to survive the assault of this Borg ish freighter they look around and uh, Reed just shoot puts the gun in their faces um, he literally just stands there trying to look hard and he really isn't intimidating whatsoever. So they make their way through, they're trying to find the cargo room and they find two Borg walking towards them. They shoot them and down they go only to realise that it's the scientists, the scientists from the beginning of the episode. I kind of wish we'd got more of this, perhaps having the scientists almost fight against the assimilation process that maybe if we'd actually got a couple of cuts to this cyborg ship to give an element that this Borg ship is is fighting against it that it's an imperfect set of born drones that the assimilation process hasn't worked properly okay so there's four coming towards the five now coming towards them okay so at this point there are two down and five going over we already established there were 29 life forms on the ship. The Enterprise is going to be boarded by six uh, other drones. So that's 11 accounted for. Two more go down. The other five are still behind them. So that is now 13 accounted for drones. Oh, look, look at the red bands. Not red shirts, red bands, remember. Remember what time period we're in. Okay, two go down. That means there's still four on the Enterprise. Oh, no, they've adapted. So, so that's four accounted for, but still 13 of the 29 lifeforms that Topol mentioned earlier. I mean, the Enterprise is dead to rights at this point. There is nothing they could have done. Those four drones could easily do more damage, but they don't. Almost as if they were choosing not to. Um, this drone could have put tubules into Reed, but he doesn't. Almost like he was trying not to. 
Um, right, Archer was behind this drone. He's holding on to him. And then Reed bundles straight into him. Sorry, that's a British expression. He just jumps into him. Um, forcing Reed to fall on the floor first. Surely doing more damage to your own captain more than the drone you were trying to take out. Okay, different drone. So one more goes down. That's 14 accounted for. That's 15. Another one goes down. 16. Another one goes down. Oh, Reed's getting to blow stuff up. He's living his best life. He is placing a ton of detonator charges all around their warp core. That's 16, 17, 18 of the 29 life forms accounted for. That means there are 11 drones that we possibly never see, and those two Tarkalians still floating out in space. They blow up the freighter, and just as it was cutting into the hole just above the NX-01 part of the saucer section. Tucker just removes the fuse, a fuse that was perfectly exposed from the get-go. Um, took him a while, didn't it? Now, these drones beam back to their ship in an effort to basically just repair stuff, so it's understandable why they did that. However, if they'd stayed aboard the Enterprise, stayed away from the security crews, and then attempted to assimilate the Enterprise, which they could well have done... To the point where um, you know any amount of work from trip just won't work anymore. Uh, we saw the damage those two Tarkalians did in such a short space of time. They've already adapted to the weapons. They could have taken over the Enterprise, but they didn't. Now, of course, the most cynical about us would probably say, "Oh, this is plot armor." You know, they just didn't do it because they. You know, they didn't write it that way. And, uh, yeah, of course, we have to make it believable the Enterprise wins the day. Otherwise, we could be facing a Borg threat for for years. Um, but, I don't know. I think it lends credence to my theory that, actually, this Borg's ship's mission was not one of returning home, but to entice the Enterprise to set about in motion the thing they were trying to do, which is how the Enterprise episode will end. We had the star log entry, March 1st, 2153. We finally have a timestamp. It's a uh, uh, timey-wimey thing. Timey what? Timey-wimey? I've, I've no idea where he picks that stuff up. I assure you, it's vital to keep the mind occupied during the healing process. They say doctors make the worst patients. Flox's, uh, you know, his mannerisms, the John Billings' performance again, it just makes so much sense that he is somebody who's recovering. I believe I was connected with the aliens, possibly through some form of telepathy. You think you were trying to communicate with He already knows it's a technical solution. Why did he say telepathy? Why not a subspace signal? Group consciousness. You are under extraordinary physical stress. To pulls back in there with more doubting. I couldn't understand most of what I was hearing, but I got the distinct impression they were trying to send a subspace message. They transmitted a numerical sequence. I heard it over and over again.
computer analyzed Bloss's numbers, their pulsar frequencies. I like this. This is real science using pulsars to navigate through space. This is something that NASA has talked about. This is something I love reading about in all of the how would we get around space, you know, uh, uh, the, the literature that is around potential space travel in the future. Pulsars are a great way of getting fixed positions. It would take at least 200 years for a subspace message to reach the Delta Quadrant, assuming it's received at all. Sounds to me like we've only postponed the invasion until what? The 24th century. Ah, the 24th century, which won't be in Temple Trek until Season 5, many, many years from now. And that's the downbeat ending. And we end at 41 minutes and 55 seconds. Uh, so there we go. We've located our point in the episode. Now they said uh, March first, twenty one fifty three, by the end of this episode. Again, like I say, I kind of wished we'd had a little bit more time frame here. How long from the Arctic Circle to uh, you know the end of the episode was it? So it's somewhere between the end of February uh, into March, but we know it ends at the 1st of March 2153. So we've located our point in time and we've looked at the episode. Uh, looking at this one all the way through, there's a lot of action. It's like I say, compared to season two episodes that we've had before, um, it's a nice throwaway, uh, enjoyable bit of TV. You know, you get your shooty shooty boopies, as I always say. Um, it's, it's not the best. Uh, the delivery of this episode makes you question all the stuff that will come later if you watch it in chronological order. Um, it, it does the thing that uh, is such a, a, a common problem with prequels in that when you really think about what happens in this episode, it makes everything else that comes later seem different and perhaps less enjoyable because then you're questioning it more. Uh, you it sort of jars the memory to the point where you kind of pulled out of the narrative. You, you're very much more more aware that you're watching a TV show. You're not brought into it because you think, oh, wait, wait a minute, if, if they knew about that in Regeneration, that doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, it doesn't you know, reduce the, how great Best of Both Worlds is or Q-Who or anything like this. It just makes you, I don't know, appreciate it in a different way. Um uh, uh, not necessarily in a good way and that's the problem with prequels uh, it's the problem with fan service in prequels I suppose as well so we've located the episode in uh, our Temporal Trek way we have the L Cars system for anyone new to us so the next point is C for consequences question whether it addresses the consequences 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 the concept of learning from one's mistakes shouldn't be difficult for a Vulcan of your wisdom to understand ambassador I don't wish to contradict Captain Archer, but learning from one's mistakes is hardly exclusive to humans. Now, consequences means anything that happens in this episode that could set up future episodes. I mean, this is almost the definition 
of this ratings part of the criteria uh this episode is 100 percent setting up the borg uh it is the first canonical time that starfleet engages the borg not the first time we've come across the borg obviously we had our first contact back in season one uh season two of this series i should say uh in the 21st century just before first contact uh so you go back to there that's the first time that the temporal trek came across them um, this is the first time that Starfleet's engaged them. They've got a ton of information already. Um, as an answering point to it, you know, how did this information get so lost in the mire of historical things that no one references it? Uh, of course, the real world explanation is Enterprise was made afterwards. So, of course, they didn't know about Enterprise, so they didn't mention it. But we have to see it like a historical document. That is the mission statement of the Temporal Trek podcast. Uh, looking at it as a historical statement, why does no one in the 24th century know anything about the Borg? Since we first received transmission of your historical documents, we have studied every facet of your missions and strategies. You've been watching the show, Lieutenant. Historical documents. Um, there are two Tarkalian bodies just floating out in space, which they could easily go back and pick up again. Uh, you know, the, uh, freighter is destroyed, but we see parts of it floating around. So all of that, those wreckage that, that wreck could be found again and brought together. Uh, there is the potential for some sort of Borg conspiracy. I suppose you could say that what if there are uh, nefarious parts of the Starfleet charter, um, that are going to collect all this and try and sweep it under the rug, not mention everything? Uh, it would legitimize Zephram Cochran's speech from hundreds of years ago, that would lead to very conspiratorial thoughts. You know, people would think that there was something going on. Um, you know, if this were scratched from the record, the Enterprise goes off in search of this uh, unknown freighter which disappeared, which somehow gained the ability to get close to Warp 5 uh, within a matter of days. Um, if people studying their history had joined the dots, you know, why was this never mentioned again? What happened to those deep research scientists in the Arctic? Uh, there are conspiracy theories that would be drawn up because of this episode. And I think that's probably the biggest uh, consequence of this episode. Um, ultimately, there's nothing really drawn up from this. You know, they learn how to destroy a slightly less version, a less lesser version of Borg tech. Um, so... In the Starfleet manuals, they are aware that cybernetic creatures could be a thing. We established the binars. The binars are brought into it for the first time, into the conversation. So maybe that is something that the Federation will find out about as well. So the binars are already known to Starfleet. So again, if we're looking at our context, our, our consequences of the Star Trek universe, uh, we've learned about the binars, we've met the Tarkalians, we've learned about the Borg, but this might be, you know, forgotten conveniently. Um, there are lots of things that are uh, established here. I think the biggest consequence is that we actually have a weapon against the Borg that is never used or left on a starship ever again. Uh, we have an MRI machine that can generate Omicron particles that can cure Borg, uh, or at least you know the beginning stages of an assimilation. Uh, is that only for Denobulans? If that's the case, and Denobulans are as immune to the... Uh, assimilation process you know if we assume that actually it's not because these are just two drones and they've been cut off from the collective so they're not as effective as they would be as part of the whole um if denobulans are 
uh, immune to assimilation, why not meet any Borg threat with a, a ton of ships all crewed by Denobulans in the future? Why is that not, you know, uh, a part of Starfleet training? It's like, if in doubt, if you meet a cybernetic creature, send in your Denobulans. Um, you know, it sets up something that, again, makes you question the future tactics of Starfleet. Are they just dumb? Uh, and it's something that this episode, unfortunately, makes you think lesser of future episodes. Why did they not think of that if this is the way that it's always been? Um, I think there are other ways they could have approached this episode without that element. Um, if the Borg had never come on board the Enterprise and it was just a cat and mouse game with this ship, I think it would make it much more believable that you know they didn't really find the bodies... Um, in the Arctic and have all the information the, the Borg take that with them. And, uh, you know, they never been aboard the enterprise. They literally, they find out that there's this ship out there. They've got to stop it. We know what it is as Star Trek fans, um, non Star Trek fans. Okay. Maybe more left in the dark, but I think it could be a, you know, submarine warfare kind of episode would have fitted better in the chronology allows you to do that prequel story but doesn't tinge the future episodes with uh, more questions so that's really consequences alterations and expansions is next uh, ae alterations and expansions uh, what would i like to have seen differently well i already mentioned that uh, if they'd kept this as uh, an, an extension to the cogenitor episode uh, maybe not the breach episode you know change it around a bit um uh, they they could have built a, a bigger narrative into this you know all right there's this cybernetic threat it's going to be coming our way in 200 years so now they approach the visions as look look you had these omicron particles in your warp drive we can use this to destroy their nanites and we see that actually working together is a great idea and it it again reinforces this idea that working together they will actually become a stronger uh, opponent for whatever these cybernetic creatures will be in the future um, that this information uh, brings about a need to work together however as i mentioned at the beginning does that break star trek if they are only working together because they are afraid of other people does that destroy the optimism of star trek that people uh, aren't just uh, creating a hopeful future because that's the nicest thing they want uh, it's just built out of fear and that is not the optimistic way that we tend to view Star Trek. Um, however, I think I would have liked to have seen the Vissians coming to, the, to their aid. Um, that We established that these were potential friendly allies. Having them brought back in, you know, they're only a few light years away. They could have sent out a message. It might have been nice to see them swoop in and try and, and help the Enterprise in some way. Uh, and, uh, and work that. Maybe use the, um, the pods the pods that are far more adapted at being inside the sun uh, as a tactical way of getting inside the ship, you know, and then have a reed plant some explosives in a, in a spacesuit and put the, put the spacesuits on the outside of the ship and then blow it up, you know, something uh, almost submarine warfare again, like that uh, where they are using their tactical advantage of having two ships above, above the Borg makes it believable that they can defeat them. Um, uh, expansions, I want to see what happens to the Tarkalian bodies and the wreckage. You know, how does it get swept under the rug that people don't remember this? Um, 
I know the tempting answer is always to say, oh, Section 31, maybe that's how they started. But, yeah, Section 31, maybe that's how they got started. Uh, it would be interesting to see if there was a cleanup crew who see the potential threat here. They hoard the information. They use the technology that's around them uh, to build up, uh, you know, an organization that has slightly more advanced tech than Starfleet does uh, for spying purposes. And, um, you know, they, they try and alert the, the Earth government at the time, the not Federation, but just Earth government of potential future threats. And that morphs over time to become Section 31. Um, it's believable. And the technology is there. And it would make sense why... Um, you know, this information doesn't get remembered in the future is because it slowly gets filtered out of the memory. Um, you know, this um, uh, episode of Star Trek or this set of star log entries are deep, you know, classified. They are taken out of uh, the training package because only future Section 31 want to know about it. Uh it could be an interesting expansion to see that that's where it eventually came from. Uh, that Section 31 just was born out of maybe not letting the public know everything they need to know. And uh, I think it would also be quite interesting to see, given that we are going to get in Season 3 this big arc that probably distracted the human population. You know, they forgot about those cybernetic creatures because that's 200 years in the future. We've now got this new threat that's coming our way that they maybe did just forget all about the cyborgs uh, because they aren't going to hurt us now. We've got bigger fish to fry um, and just play around with that idea that actually that's somebody else's problem. And is that a good way to think about it? You know, if it's someone else in the future's problem, we don't have to deal with it. And that's, that's quite a worrying thing, but a story you could probably tell in an enterprise context, but not necessarily other Star Trek series. After AE, we come to the R's, the pirate section of our criteria. R's. R's, What did you think of the story? From my perspective. That's one way of looking at it. I'm going to recommend R's, Ours are for recommendations, and there's two recommendations. Do we recommend this episode to Star Trek fans as a good episode of Star Trek, and to non-Star Trek fans as uh, a gateway drug to get people into it? Is it a good episode for Star Trek fans? It's the Borg. If you like the Borg, that's great. But ultimately, it feels too fanservice-y. It makes you question the future episodes uh, where the Borg uh, appear you know why do people not know more about this this seems quite a significant thing um it's it's got your tropes it got it's got your callbacks but but it feels like we're just having the borg thrust in our face and like oh look we got the borg this is exciting come back to this this tv show it feels desperate i guess just saying saying the word i mean it feels horrible to say it but it does feel like when the Borg are put in this episode, that we're being just played to, and that there wasn't really uh, an intention to make a decent story out of it. You're just seeing the Enterprise crew react. Nothing really comes about from it. Um, there are some great moments that they could have played on a bit more. Uh, Archer's guilt about 
killing the two Tarkalians. Um, his wish to, to save rather than destroy uh, the, the lives on board the freighter. Um, it's brought up in two scenes, but I feel like if it had been brought up a bit more, uh, it might have made for more of a Star trek episode, that there was a little bit more uh, debate, and philosophical you know, head-scratching to go with our shooty-shooty pew-pews. Uh, which I don't mind. And actually, I think the fighting and everything all, all makes sense. The way the Enterprise is able to defend itself does kind of make sense as well. Um, but actually, I don't think I would recommend Star Trek fans. I know that seems weird. And I know this episode does get called up as like a, a fun uh, Enterprise episode. But given it the tinge that it puts on future episodes and the fact that it doesn't really delve into some really good storytelling that it could have done... I actually don't think it is a good episode of Star Trek. It is just something that's made for the fans, but because it's made just for the fans, doesn't quite work. Now, to non-Star Trek fans, does it work? We had some really good uh, Hoshi Sato scenes. We had some really good Phlox scenes. We do have a couple of scenes, and they're surface level, where Archer shows his caring side. And because it's surface level, it might make a new fan want to come into the show you know why is archer being so nice and wanting to save all these people why isn't he just like every leader who would be today who would just sacrifice those those 29 lives because you you've got you know everyone on the enterprise to think about um i actually think there's a lot of uh character performances that would actually bring people in and uh certainly seeing the way Phlox deals with it and how willing he is to have himself killed he hands over that neurotoxin without even thinking it's not even uh, a passing thought for him he already has that plan in his mind i think it's a really good way of seeing the characters so actually i would not recommend to star trek fans but i would probably welcome non-star trek fans coming in because this would start people thinking well maybe there is something more to this enterprise show unfortunately I wouldn't recommend them coming into season two because of this episode. It's not a good example of season two, but it's a good example of what Enterprise could do with some very interesting characters. And that's it. We finished Regeneration. We are no longer the Borg. We are moving on. And uh, what we do now is the double S part of L Cars, which is sell podcasts and set up for the next week's episode. Selling podcasts. Of course, uh, you have uh, Dan, my other co-host who is not here, who has the Academic Trek. Uh, there's no new content on there, but do check out his previous back catalogue of episodes. They are fantastic, where he talks to people across the academic spheres who use Star Trek in their studies and research. And it is a fantastic chance to listen to Trekkies actually make use of this little show that we like to watch. Um, for me, we've got the Nexus Nights, which is the spin-off show for this, the main show general trek chat and then uh we have the epsilon 3 and cosmic pizza podcast which are on the eso network two other shows that i host with paul and sean um so do join us over there next comes the setup for next week's episode join us next time for season three episode 50 of this podcast and season two episode 24 of enterprise as we are just staying in 2153 and just the 2153 scenes of first flight an episode we've already looked at earlier in season three of this podcast where we had all the flashbacks now we are only doing those scenes that happen in the shuttle pod between T'Pol and archer in 2153 
So join us at zero minutes, zero seconds for that. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next time stream. I hope you've enjoyed the show. Please remember to like, subscribe and review wherever you listen to it. If you would like to be a guest in the future or give feedback, you can contact me by either searching for the Temporal Trek Podcast Facebook page or find me on Twitter at Rider underscore Coattail. Also search the Temporal Trek Podcast. You can also find me on Instagram at Daniel underscore Hitch underscore Writer. Scripted elements of the show are a work of pure fan fiction and any views and opinions expressed in the episode discussions are my own or that of the guest. They do not reflect the rights holders of Star Trek. Any Star Trek sound effects or music are used under the terms of fair use and are not my own work. The intro music, Birthright by Audio Binger, is royalty-free from the Free Music Archive. Check out their work and others at freemusicarchive.com. The Temple Trek is a free podcast with no Patreon or sponsorship. However, if you would like to support the show, you can find my books by searching Daniel Peter Hitch on Amazon. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you in the next time stream. Uh, general chat, Trek chat. Show, low show. <laughs>